Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to talk about one of our favorite internet video game streaming companies, Amazon's Twitch, that has done virtual legality a solid for as long as it's been in existence by changing its terms of service, its harassment policies, its community guidelines, almost on a semi-quarterly basis at this point. And yesterday was no exception when in a blog post they announced their plan for addressing severe off-service misconduct. Now, in order to talk about this properly, we kind of have to understand what the fundamental baseline for these services is. If you are streaming on Twitch or on YouTube or on Facebook and you do something bad, you get a cat drunk, you pull a gun, you say something racist, whatever it might be, then these services can 100% enforce their terms of service against you, issue a suspension, end your contract, whatever it might be. The question, however, is what if you do that off of the service? If you're a major prominent streamer on Twitch and then you walk into a Baskin Robbins and get caught on a viral video saying something that Twitch would very much prefer you have not to have said, what happens then? And while we've talked in virtual legality about how the ambiguities and these terms documents and everywhere else allow these companies to basically do what they will in terms of ending your service connection with them, What Twitch announced yesterday makes this right far more explicit and also far more considerable in meaning that I think that Twitch streamers now and proposed Twitch streamers in the future should be really focusing on this and thinking about the ramifications for what Twitch is purporting to have the right to do. I entitled this in the thumbnail World Police, and that is exactly what they are claiming to do. So let's take a look at this blog post and hopefully get a better understanding of why I think there are some areas to be concerned with here, even though trying to keep bad actors off your service is something that every business has the right to do, and in some respects is laudable. I frankly don't trust Twitch's contract writing or enforcement activities as they've happened since virtual legality started, so that might also be an area that you might want to consider is that this particular company has been enforcing its contract terms in interesting ways uh, throughout its history. But let's talk about what they said. In January, we began enforcing our updated hateful conduct and harassment policy so we could better protect every community on Twitch. In case you missed it, the refreshed policy features a clearer and more consistent stance. Now, in fairness, I did in fact miss that clearer and more consistent stance, even though I covered Twitch's changes multiple times in recent videos on this channel. Now, why did I miss it? Maybe because the clarity really isn't there for someone like me that does in fact parse every word. It's my job. You can see that in their hate and harassment policy writ large. We do not tolerate hateful or harassing behavior or conduct that encourages or incites hate or harassment in any way. Okay, great. Kudos. No problem there. But what do you mean by hate? Well, Twitch does not permit behavior that is motivated by hatred, prejudice, or intolerance. Okay. Including behavior that promotes or encourages discrimination, denigration, harassment, or violence based on the following protected characteristics. And they're the fairly standard, immutable, somewhat mutable in certain instances, characteristics that they don't want you to say bad things about. Okay. So Twitch says, we won't permit behavior if it's motivated by hatred. That's a little ambiguous, but not too bad. And then you get to the next section where they give their examples and they say, hey, this content is prohibited regardless of whether it is intended to be hateful. Oh, wait, Twitch. We did talk about this in a previous video. You said this is clear and you're trying to suspend people and otherwise enforce these terms against people that are motivated by hatred, but stuff 
that you do that isn't motivated by hatred, whether or not it is intended to even be hateful, you're also going to enforce against, including, and this is pertinent to the conversation we're about to have in this video, posting, uploading, or otherwise sharing hateful images or symbols, including symbols of established hate groups. That's how they describe them here. And Nazi-related imagery. And I think broadly speaking, every human being, or at least every good-hearted human being on the planet says, yeah, hate groups, bad. Established hate groups, worse. Symbols related to those hate groups, terrible. And if you put them up deliberately on your stream, if you stream with what they describe as a Confederate flag, some other symbols that I don't recognize, and I thank the Lord for that, then you're going to get in trouble with Twitch. But those are actions that you're taking. And Twitch says, those are bad things. Now, Twitch also has a line in here towards the end that says off-service harassment and hateful conduct can be covered. They described it as follows. The Twitch community is also at conventions, TwitchCon, Twitch community meetups, and even social media, even social media. Our community encompasses all of these spaces, and we take them into consideration when it comes to our role in keeping the community safe. We may take action against persons for hateful conduct or harassment that occurs off Twitch services and is directed at Twitch users. Now, I do want to point out here that this version of the hate and harassment policy was updated as of yesterday to correspond with the blog post that we're about to continue reading. But this off-service harassment concept did appear in the earlier versions of the document. I've pulled up the Wayback Machines version. So they didn't change the playing field here. And we're about to see them say that they were already doing this kind of thing where they could cover off-site conduct if it was directed at something related to their Twitch community, that related to something that happened on Twitch. They didn't really change that in this blog post. What they did is they added on a great deal of additional power and concepts. Or as they say, today we're shifting focus and talking about how we plan to address severe misconduct that impacts the Twitch community, but happens off Twitch. Our current guidelines state that in some serious cases where there is available, verifiable evidence, we may take action against users for hateful conduct or harassment that occurs off Twitch services, meaning on social media, other online services, or even offline when directed at members of the Twitch community. Now, as best I could tell, this policy doesn't quite say that at all. And in fact, their guidelines, the community guidelines overall, don't say that as of April 1st, period. This is the last part of the community guidelines, and we will see that they added a little bit of language here at the end, which we will, of course, read through in order to better understand what Twitch is talking about here. What they're saying in their blog post, however, is this available verifiable evidence and what they do against people. The best I can tell you is that it relates to this off-service concept in their harassment and hateful conduct concept, but it's not exactly what they describe in their blog post, which is fine, but it does tend to raise at least the yellow flag for me. Now, they say they are updating and expanding our approach to off-service enforcement, which now falls into two categories. First, the one that is currently in their hateful conduct policy. Someone is harassed on Twitch as well as off Twitch. When this happens, we will take into account verifiable off-service behaviors or statements that relate to an incident that took place on Twitch. For example, if we're reviewing a harassment report about an incident that happened live on stream, related or continued harassment on Twitter could be taken into account when reported to us. Now, what's interesting there is the related or continued. So it no longer has to relate specifically to the incident. It can just be continued harassment if they can identify 
the two parties here. But what's notable about this is that it's not that unusual. You had something that started on your service and then you have the behavior continuing off service. That's really the same kind of ball of wax as enforcing things on your service. You're just essentially adding to the evidence pile for the reasons that you're going to take some kind of enforcement action. As they say, this is how our current off-service policy works in the vast majority of cases and will not change. What does change is category two. We will now enforce against serious offenses that pose a substantial safety risk to the Twitch community, even if these actions occur entirely off Twitch. So, Pausing for a second, there is now no need for connective tissue between what we're about to talk about in terms of the bullets and in terms of what they have put in their community guidelines directly and what you have done on Twitch. The thing you say in the Baskin Robbins doesn't have to have anything to do with what you streamed that afternoon when before it did. Now, if you do something like that and it becomes known to Twitch, you've got problems regardless of whether it affected your streaming and your actual participation in the Twitch community. Examples of these behaviors include, now, we can tell from just this kind of language that examples include is not intended to be exhaustive. In any kind of legal document, when you have that kind of language, it means these are just illustrative examples. We reserve the right to cover other areas. So the operative bit of language here, at least in the blog post, which is not the operative part of the guidelines, which we will talk about in just a second, says we will enforce actions against offenses that pose a substantial safety risk to the Twitch community. That's their baseline legal right. And if we go and we see what they actually change in their community guidelines, that's somewhat mirrored. Twitch is committed to facilitating vibrant and dynamic communities, which can only happen if our users feel secure and protected. In order to achieve this goal, Twitch enforces against severe offenses committed by members of the Twitch community that occur outside of our services, such as, so we've got that same kind of formulation where you've said that your basic right is we're going to enforce against severe offenses committed by members of the Twitch community, such as, hate group membership, terrorist recruitment, sexual assault, and child grooming. We will investigate reports that include verifiable evidence of these behaviors and, if we are able to confirm, issue enforcements against the relevant users. We will also consider allegations of similarly severe conduct by those wishing to join the Twitch community and, if substantiated, we will terminate the account. Now, I don't know what that last sentence process looks like. You want to become a Twitch streamer and there's like an open comment period where people can submit information about you. Presumably, you're not going to submit this information on your own. Twitch is going to do a background check of everybody that seeks to be a Twitch streamer. Very unclear there. And one of the areas where I think people should take note that this is not a small exercise on the part of Amazon or Twitch. This is likely to be very costly and is substantial in its nature. Now, again, we saw just kind of an example list here, hate group membership, terrorist recruitment, sexual assault, and child grooming. Let's go back to the blog post because even though this doesn't represent a legal obligation in the same way that the community guidelines do that actually define what Twitch can can do, it is useful evidence for what they are thinking of here. So what is a severe, serious offense posing a substantial safety risk to the Twitch community? Deadly violence and violent extremism. Absolutely, right? If you commit deadly violence, you murder someone or even violent extremism, rhetoric, 
destruction, arson, whatever it might be, that's something that Twitch could look at and say, we don't want to be associated with you. Terrorist activities or recruiting, sure, makes sense. Explicit and or credible threats of mass violence. That one gets a little broader if you parse it as a lawyer, although I don't think Twitch would be likely to do this. That and or there is doing some work. You don't have to have a credible threat. You just have to have an explicit threat of mass violence. Presumably, they aren't intending to include satirical Twitter commentary about how you're rooting for the meteor to hit the Miami Notre Dame football game. But technically speaking, that could be considered an explicit threat of mass violence, especially if you said you were ordering a meteor to do so. Either way, it is an action that you would have to take. And again, it's very difficult for good, well-intentioned people to argue against somebody doing these things offsite and Twitch saying, hey, we don't want to be associated with you. Then we get to a little bit more passive stuff. And I've highlighted in red membership here because it's important. Leadership or membership in a known hate group. We'll come back to that. Carrying out or acting as an accomplice to non-consensual sexual activities and or sexual assault. Sure, carrying out, acting as an accomplice for. These are actions. These are things that you have done that are bad. Sexual exploitation of children, such as child grooming and solicitation distribution of underage sexual materials. Again, something you did, something that was bad. Actions that would directly and explicitly compromise the physical safety of the Twitch community, such as threatening violence at a Twitch event. Now, what's interesting there is that that's actually probably a poor legal description of what they're aiming at. Actions that directly and explicitly compromise physical safety, that's like blowing up the rafters at a basketball game. That's not actually threatening to blow up the rafters at the basketball game. And you wonder why they included this directly and explicitly language when they're already covering threatening violence and things like this with violent extremism up here. Obviously though, it's still an action that you would have to undertake. And it's one that is specifically and narrowly tailored to be things that are related to the Twitch community, the Twitch events, as they say. Now, the physical safety of the Twitch community, does that include everyone that actually streams on Twitch? Does that include people's houses? Does that include anywhere else that they might stream? It's unclear, but certainly somebody that is doing this in most cases is going to be someone that you're going to say, yeah, all right, Twitch, you have every reason to not want them to be associated with your brand. Explicit and or credible threats against Twitch, including Twitch staff. Now, there isn't actually, if you'll note here, an invocation of violence Explicit threats against Twitch, including Twitch staff. If you were a legislature in the various states of the United States, or maybe you are a member of the House of Representatives, and you said Twitch is allowing too much hate speech, Twitch is doing something else bad, and you say, I'm going to take away your Section 230 protection. I'm going to do something else in the code. Maybe I'm going to tax you a little bit more. Is that an explicit threat against Twitch? Am I now prohibited if I'm a congressperson from being on Twitch? Again, I think we're aimed at violence, but it's not at all clear on that. Serious offenses that pose a substantial safety risk to the Twitch community implies a kind of corporeal safety, but a threat against Twitch as an entity, what does that look like? Twitch is a legal fiction. It's a corporation. It's not a person. So an explicit or credible threat against Twitch is broader than we might otherwise like. Now, of course, you make a threat against Twitch, it shouldn't be a surprise that Twitch doesn't want you on their service. However, it is something to note that like everything that Twitch has ever authored in their terms of service, their community guidelines, their harassment and hateful conduct policy, it has enough ambiguity to run a truck through. And the biggest of those 
is this concept of membership in a known hate group. Unlike every other item on this list, unlike every other item contained in their now revised community guidelines, membership is a passive activity. And what is a known hate group is probably going to be difficult to define without Twitch actually putting a list together, which is something I would advocate for. If this is going to be something that is going to get you kicked off Twitch, then you should know what Twitch considers to be a known hate group because it's not at all obvious if you just go and you look at some of the resources available. I pulled up the Southern Poverty Law Center hate map, I think is what they call it. And on this map, they have a number of groups that you or I or the person next to us probably wouldn't consider a hate group. Things like the Family Research Council or uh, maybe even PETA and things that relate to extremist groups that we don't usually put in that bucket of whatever it might be, racism, white supremacy, these kinds of things that we see in news articles all the time. You look at the FBI, they don't name groups domestically, really, that are hate groups. They name armies and things like that, but they do point out areas of sovereign citizenry, militias, abortion extremists, animal rights extremists, that are things that they consider to be a problem domestically. And if the FBI defined these things as such, would probably call them hate groups. You go on Twitter, and while most of this stuff is joking, you do see people that actually say the GOP, the Republican Party, is a hate group. Autism Speaks is a hate group. And I actually looked into this when I saw this popping up when I was preparing for this video. Apparently, Autism Speaks tries to cure autism, and and that bothers a lot of people, whereas there are other groups that don't. In any event, what you've got now in the current zeitgeist, in such a fractious, separated community, as is the United States and really around the globe, is these areas where if you disagree with me on something of importance, we might characterize you as a hate group. Evangelical Christianity is a hate group. Hey, King George from Hamilton, he helps autism speak. So maybe he's a member of a hate group. And you can go, you can look up is a hate group on Twitter or probably anywhere else. And you can go look up these kinds of borderline cases. Now, do I think Twitch would act against these groups? Do I think Twitch would look at the Catholic Church and call it a hate group? Do I think they would look at uh, Planned Parenthood, call it a hate group? The Democrats, the Republicans, the Libertarians, the Federalist Society, the John Birch Society? I don't know. But what's important is neither do you. We aren't Twitch. We aren't Amazon. And when we look at these kinds of things, passive participation in a group is something that can easily get away from you. I don't know if you've had the same experience as me, but I'll tell you that I have had the experience where I've been a member of a group and that group got away from me, right? That group started thinking things and advocating for things and spending its money in places that I didn't match up with philosophically. And of course, I left that group. In fact, I grew up Catholic and I'm no longer Catholic because I disagreed with some of the directions that it was going in. But For a time, I was. And if you decided later on that what they were doing, which maybe you and I agree with and disagree with the group on, uh, my membership could get me kicked off the Twitches of the world because it'll show somewhere at some time, then we've started to get a real problem. Individuals aren't groups. And known hate group is such an amorphous concept that you do worry that when you put it on a list of, hey, doing violent things, recruiting terrorists, sexual exploitation and sexual assault... Membership in a group of any kind is going to be that kind of passive thing that presents a problem. Now, if you think that Twitch just put this in the middle of the 
the document here. We don't need to worry about it that much. I would implore you to remember that it's one of the things that is listed specifically in the community guidelines. And it doesn't have to be established as was referenced in the hate policy. This is just a hate group membership. And what is that? Is that the Republican Party like some on Twitter would have you believe? If you voted for Trump, are you a member of a hate group? Hey, Biden wants to build back up portions of the wall between the US and Mexico. If you voted for Biden, are you a member of a hate group? Obviously, I think the answer to all these things is no, but reasonable minds right now can think that everybody that disagrees with them is a member of a hate group. You only have to look through my Twitter history to find people that called me a member of a hate group or maybe a hate group composed of one when I said things like, I'm a freedom of speech absolutist and I believe firmly in the ability of people to say what they believe and I believe firmly in the lack of government power to restrict those rights. And people came out and called me all sorts of names that I'm sure that you can imagine if you're watching this video. And certainly in my experience, just doing virtual legality, I've been banned in places. I've been blocked from places for saying things that I consider to be effectively classical liberal concepts, concepts of freedom and rights, uh, immutable characteristics that are bestowed upon us and whatnot. So I think it is important to look at this and say, okay, Twitch can say these things, but everybody that's currently on the service, everybody that's watched things like the Dr. Disrespect long-term slow motion silent car wreck and said, hey, what is Twitch even doing? That looked at the way they're handling their DMCA disputes and their music issues and saying, what is Twitch even doing? Can look at a list like this and say, okay, not only can you not necessarily keep your own house in order You're now going to expand to trying to clean up the world's houses. Now, how are you going to do that? Let's continue with their blog post. These behaviors represent some of the most egregious types of physical and psychological harm. But we understand that this list is not inclusive of all types of harassment and abuse. Taking action against misconduct that occurs entirely off our service is a novel approach. Indeed, it is for both Twitch and the industry at large. It's unclear what industry they're talking about there, probably streaming services. But it's one we believe and hear from you is crucial to get right. At this time, we're not able to investigate behaviors that occur entirely off Twitch that fall outside of these specific categories, which makes you wonder why you needed the inclusive language here and why you didn't include the whole list where people are more likely to read them directly in the community guidelines. But suffice it to say, they say we can only investigate these kinds of things. And this is the list that we are limiting ourselves to with the implicit for now running throughout this particular post. While this policy is new, we have taken action historically against serious, clear misconduct that took place off service. But until now, we didn't have an approach that scaled. So said another way, they were taking actions against that off service behavior. Now, did it match up with their hate policy? I don't know. They don't actually limit themselves to that here, but they didn't have the ability to scale that approach. How do you solve that scaling problem? Well, the same way you solve every scaling problem, you hire a lawyer. In order to be as thorough and efficient as possible in these situations, we're bringing on a highly regarded third-party investigative partner to support our internal team with these investigations. This partner is an experienced investigations law firm that is dedicated to conducting independent workplace and campus investigations, including those related to sexual discrimination or assault. Now, 
The very first question I had here is why isn't this law firm named? There's no reason to keep the law firm silent here. There's nothing untoward about hiring a law firm for these purposes. If you hear about a university conducting some kind of investigation, generally speaking, they will announce what law firm they hired. And you'll look for connections between that law firm and the various parties to make sure that everything is on the up and up. It is unclear why you wouldn't announce what law firm you just hired for this purpose. But it's worth noting that this is essentially just a relationship where you put a law firm on retainer and our people are going to investigate these things. And if it gets too big for us, in some capacity, whether it's the complexity of the case or just the volume of reports we wind up getting, we will have those lawyers look at these things for us. Now, I'm not an investigative lawyer. I am a corporate transactional lawyer, but that's generally how these things work. It's just a surprise that you didn't tell us what law firm you put together. Additionally, we've created a dedicated email address where anyone can report egregious off-service misconduct in the categories above committed by a member of the Twitch community. This is another area, and this language is throughout the community guidelines now and in this blog post, where membership in a group really doesn't fit in, right? Being a member of a group isn't specifically egregious misconduct. It isn't something that is done by someone else. And in fact, remember, if you are just getting persecuted by Twitch for being a member of a group, it means they don't have one of the other categories to pin on you. You didn't commit deadly violence. You weren't a terrorist recruiting. You weren't doing these various other things. You're just a member of a group that you may or may not agree with in its entirety. I don't agree with any group that I belong to in its entirety, but c'est la vie. That email address is osit at twitch.tv, which I believe, guessing, is off-service investigation team. It's a little bit of a surprise that they didn't put that there so that you could remember what it was that they were talking about. But you do wonder exactly how many reports is Twitch going to get? How much trolling is going to take place here? How many legitimate reports is Twitch going to get? And I think they started with this list, and they kind of say this throughout the blog post. They started with a list that is this specific and hard to kind of troll in the absence of membership in a known hate group that we aren't going to have to research 100,000 of these things all at once from a deluge of people that hate Twitch streamer X or think that Twitch streamer Y is a hater or whatever it might be. So we kept it to this list on the assumption that we can handle what should be a trickle of reports and then increase the size of this concept as we understand what it is that we can handle. That's in fact what they say. To report other types of harmful or inappropriate behavior that occurs on Twitch, the best course of action is still to file a detailed report using the Twitch reporting tool. This is only talking about off-site conduct. We will only take action when there is evidence, which may include links, screenshots, video of off-Twitch behavior, interviews, police filings, or interactions that have been verified by our law enforcement response team or our third-party investigators. Now, that list is pretty good. I do have one question. What's a police interaction and what exactly is the evidence of that interaction? Is it a police report? Is it something else? Because a police report would seem to be a police filing. So what is evidence of a police interaction? Again, ambiguities. Due to the sensitive nature of these issues, we will share updates with the parties involved about the outcome of the investigation, but we will not share updates publicly. Now that's interesting in and of itself right? You've got what amounts to some kind of shadow process that's going to be investigating you, potentially taking out your livelihood if you're a Twitch streamer and have dedicated your life and your resources to that. And you're probably not going to be a party to the entirety of the investigation. 
and the world might not know exactly what happened. It's unclear whether Twitch will start to try to enforce non-disclosure arrangements or other things related to their investigations, but it would certainly surprise me if they didn't. They're going to be looking into things that they think would make them look bad. That's why they would cut you off. And so it is to their advantage to not have the facts and circumstances of those situations be disclosed publicly, which again creates this kind of perverse incentive for Twitch to keep things quiet, to quote unquote investigate, and to move things along with maybe very little defense on the part of the Twitch streamer. Remember, Twitch axed one of their biggest streamers, signed to an exclusive contract with nothing said to the world. And yes, that exclusive contract, as we've talked about in virtual legality, means that it's also to Dr. Disrespect's advantage to be quiet about it, to try to reconcile what amounts of money he is owed over the long term. But for the average Twitch streamer, this could easily kind of devolve into a Kafka-esque shadow process in which you don't necessarily have the ability to counter any of their quote-unquote investigation by their third-party law firm partner. In fact, they don't even guarantee to get it right. What's the sentence that they use in their community guidelines? We'll do our best. We will do our best to ensure that our enforcement decisions are accurate. Oh, really? Okay. So... Again, I've pledged my livelihood to helping your service make money. I've devoted these time and resources to Twitch, to helping your service make money. And then someone reports something that I might not get information about from you. And I'm kicked off the service and you don't have any kind of requirement to get it right. You don't have an obvious appeals process to something like this. Your commitment to me in the community guidelines is we'll do our best. Okay. If I were sitting on the other side of a entity that was negotiating a contract with me and the standard that they put forth on something this critical and important to my client was we will do our best, I'd tell my client to walk away. And in fact, when you look at these documents, a lot of the time, it seems like the best plan is to walk away. Heck, I make YouTube videos, right? And I can tell you there's a lot of YouTube terms of service in terms of conditions that aren't great. And certainly as I try to grow virtual legality and we try to improve this channel over the long term, looking at other platforms and other availabilities of support is part and parcel to making sure this all works because putting all your eggs in one Twitch basket, one YouTube basket is increasingly clear a bad idea for anybody that's looking at these various things because what might be a hate group Tomorrow isn't a hate group today. What might be something that can get you kicked off of Twitch tomorrow might not be something that's a problem today. And if you have archives and if you have people that don't like you and if anybody that has a certain amount of subscribers or followers or whatever it might be has somebody that doesn't like them, this creates weapons, creates uncertainty. And unfortunately, Twitch retains all this ambiguity solely on their own. They continue with their do our best, say, which in some cases will necessitate us bringing in a third-party investigator for thorough and impartial review. And if we are able to verify reports of off-service statements or behaviors that relate to an incident that took place on Twitch, we will use this evidence to support and inform our enforcement decisions. There's that relation concept again, but understand that the blog post itself, which you can click through here on the learn more about our off-service conduct policy, doesn't require that relationship. So again, we have like 16 different areas of ambiguity here just in what Twitch is saying. And if you go and you look at the facts, you see, hey, we've prioritized the most serious offenses. We're going to move on if we can make this all work. And hey, we don't have to tell you if any of this is happening. In cases related to illegal behaviors, which is maybe everything on that list, we may not be able to alert the person involved in order to preserve evidence. So you don't need to be told and you might not be able to say anything after the fact. You won't be a part of the process. You won't have, you know, 
due process rights. It's Twitch. It's a private entity. It's not a government. So you don't have cross-examination or really any examination of the evidence they're putting up against you. And it all doesn't have to happen on Twitch and can be sent to an anonymous email and looked at by a law firm that you don't know that might have connections to the person that's on the other side of the table from you. Unfortunately, that's just the way this all sets up. And while I like the Twitch service, there are plenty of Twitch streamers that I follow. And I I love that so many people are dedicated to putting that great content out there. I can't honestly tell you, I love a blog post like this with ambiguities that really should put every Twitch streamer in a state of caution. The last thing I'll leave you with is the corporate lawyer side of things. And I know a number of people came onto my Twitter and actually said something along these lines, which is that, as I said at the top of this video, I don't like how they've written it. I don't like the power they've retained for themselves. I think people should be cautious about the language they have written. All of that said, Twitch has every right to protect their brand in the way that they see fit. And looking at things that don't specifically relate to their relationship with a given streamer is not that unusual in basically every other walk of life. Certainly when we start talking about celebrities. It was only this week that we saw Nike and Beats by Dre pull their sponsorships or suspend them in the case of Nike against Deshaun Watson, who is facing a number of allegations uh, from, I think it's masseuses in his area uh, for sexual harassment slash assault. And there hasn't been a legal process. There hasn't been a whole due process that goes along with these things as of yet. But Nike says, whoa, whoa, whoa. While this is ongoing, we don't want to have our brand related to this story at all. And that's entirely understandable, just as it would be understandable for Twitch to look at somebody and say, okay, you are now making our brand look bad and we want to cut ties with you. The problem is with the rights that they afford themselves in the blog post that they put out yesterday, their rights are plenary, total, all powerful. And the Twitch streamers that are otherwise making their business model work might not have any ability to fight against a Twitch that just decides they no longer like you. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy conversations about business and law of video games, pop culture, music, movies, television, and of course, technology, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Patreon. Please check it out. We've got Streamlabs. We've got a store with shirts and mugs. And if none of those wind up appealing to you, just subscribe, ring the bell, leave a comment for Google and tell your friends. Every single little bit helps. And I am so appreciative of everybody that has helped get this channel really close to 35,000 subscribers right now. Let's get over that hump. Maybe this month, I very much appreciate it. If you caught it on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.